Hello and welcome to the Football Gumbo Show podcast. I am your host, the Cajun Hillbilly. That's right, it is the Football Gumbo Show podcast and I am your host, the Cajun Hillbilly, a.k.a. Lance Vosser. The email address is footballgumbo at yahoo.com, footballgumbo at yahoo.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the playoffs are in full bore, full swing. Last weekend was the wild card weekend. We are now down to eight teams, and after this weekend, after we review the action, we'll be down to four teams, the AFC and NFC Championship. Let's start off with the Cleveland Browns. That's right, the Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs. What year is it? Pinch yourself. It's 2021. 22-17 victory. The current Super Bowl champs barely escape a spicy Cleveland Browns team looking to make some noise. Kansas City lost their... Wonderkind quarterback, the best player in the NFL, Pat Mahomes, to a concussion. They were in danger of losing the game. And then they had their defense that was left and Chad Henney. Who's Chad Henney? Well, you remember Chad Henney. I've seen Chad Henney play before. Henney Given Sunday. Hashtag Henney Given Sunday. Hennessy. Well, he comes in along with a gutsy call from Andy Reid to pick up a first down probably the only coach to call such a play in such a situation, to spring the victory for KC. Hoping to keep that Super Bowl repeat alive, they hold off the Browns 22-17 on Sunday to advance to their third straight AFC Championship game. Pat Mahomes suffered a concussion on a hit. Looked like he might have suffered the concussion as he hit the ground. He was uh, tackled by Mac Wilson, the former Alabama Crimson Tide linebacker. Looked like it was a clean hit. Uh, Mac looked like he got the shoulder. Pat Mahomes came down, I guess, it would have looked to be a little bit hard maybe um, to the turf and got up very wobbly. Um, scary sight to see no matter who it is. With their star quarterback reduced to a spectator, the oft-forgotten bunch opposite of Mahomes' high-powered offense forced the Browns to punt in the waning minutes of the game thanks to some pressure by Chris Jones and Baker Mayfield's face. The 35-year-old backup, Chad Henney, showed some moxie with a 13-yard third-down scramble and an audacious fourth-down completion to Tyreek Hill when Gopher Broke Reed decided to go for it. That gave the Chiefs a first down with just over a minute left and allowed them to run out the clock. Now, Chad Henney, with that amazing run, which I didn't know he was capable of running like that, sort of made up for a really awful, awful interception to Cleveland's Carl Joseph that looked more like a punt to Cleveland, but uh, Mahomes hasn't or hadn't played in 21 days since the Chiefs clinched the AFC's top seed in Week 16. But he hardly missed a beat before leaving midway through the third. Mahomes finished 21 of 30 for 255 yards and a touchdown, and ran for another score. Harrison Butt kicker added three field goals for the Chiefs, who nearly blew a 19 to three lead, but survived to become the first AFC team to host three consecutive conference title games. Baker Mayfield for the Browns threw for 204 with a touchdown and an interception. The Browns were coming off their first playoff win since uh, the 1994 season, but their inability to, inability to drive for the winning touchdown, they punted with 423 left in the game, and defensive letdown kept them from winning two playoff games in a season for the first time since 1950. There was a play also where uh, Travis Kelsey kind of went up against, I think Denzel Ward was maybe guarding him. Kelsey turned uh, a dump off. He went one way and then like juked the other and uh, just left Denzel Ward clinging to his jock strap there. 
you don't see tight ends move that way too much. But um, that uh, dump off turned into a 20-yard, um, well, turned into a touchdown catch, really, I believe. Travis Kelsey really is an amazing player. You have to account for him. And uh, he was a difference maker in this game for the Chiefs. Mahomes was so short passing in the first half that he even completed a celebratory heave to a lucky fan in the far reaches of Arrowhead Stadium's upper deck following his touchdown run. After the teams swapped field goals with Butker breaking the Chiefs' playoff record with a 50-yarder into the win, the Browns marched for what could have been a momentum-swinging score heading into halftime, but just when Rashard Higgins tried to stretch over the goal line, the Chiefs' Daniel Sorensen arrived uh, to deliver a hit, popping the ball through the back of the end zone, past the pylon, for you know it, that rule that everybody freaking hates that likes a good competitive game. And Bill Belichick knows this rule up and down. That's why he prohibits his players from stretching out the ball near the goal line. The ball was fumbled, went through the back of the end zone, went out of bounds past the pylon. Guess what? Your drive is nullified. The defense gets the ball at the 20-yard line. Is the worst rule in football. The Browns give it up turnover. They were two. They were like a half a yard from scoring. Now to giving the ball back to the Chiefs, completely killing any chance and any points whatsoever. That's right, the worst rule in football reared its ugly head, and I suppose it won't get changed until it screws over Tom Brady. But moving quite along, the Browns' running game finally started to make some headway. They began to lean a little bit heavily on their vaunted run game, which uh, produced just 18 yards in the first half, and Nick Chubb converted on fourth down with a hard run. Then uh, Hunt followed another fourth down conversion on the same drive by hitting the end zone against his former team, to make it 22-17 with 11.07 to go. Then after the horrible interception to Carl Joseph, then came Henny's gutsy scramble to uh, seal it for the Chiefs and send them to their third AFC Championship game. Stefanski for the Browns. Look, look Brownies, it was a great season. At least you have um, that out of the equation. You've got your guy. Finally, you got some stability. you got your coach who's done a fantastic job. It's been a long time. You got actually you got your quarterback and your coach. So Browns, um, you have made it to the playoffs. You have a stable quarterback and coach um, relationship here going forward. You have a lot to build on. You have more than what most franchises have at this point. So a lot to look forward to if you are a Browns fan. Stefanski, of course, was making a playoff head coaching debut after missing last week's game in Pittsburgh because of the COVID nineteen. He was in the basement. And also they got, the Brownies got back uh, Joel Batonio, the outstanding guard, and Denzel Ward returned, and also another defensive back, Kevin Johnson, were back from their injuries. Jedrick Wills, the first-round pick, left with an ankle injury on the Browns' first offensive play. His backup, Kendall Lamb, left with an elbow injury, forcing once again Blake Hance to make his second NFL appearance. And the young man's been impressive being able to come in on a moment's notice and fill a spot for the Browns on their offensive line. Chiefs running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire with still having an ankle issue. He was inactive after returning to practice this week for the first time since mid-December. And Brashad Breland left in the fourth quarter with a concussion also. So I'm sure I was a lot like you other fans in thinking that, uh-oh, Kansas City's in trouble whenever they lost Mahomes. But um, uh, at that point, I was like, oh my God, who is the Kansas City Chiefs backup? And I couldn't think of it. I knew Matt Moore was in there. 
maybe a year or two ago, but I wasn't sure about who was the backup now. And then Chad Henney comes onto the field. And kudos to Andy Reid for having the stones, I'm talking about the onions, to call that little play, that rollout play, that uh, option right that probably nobody else would have ran and a pass to Tyreek Hill, who quickly caught it. It was a quick snap, kind of caught the Browns off guard. And uh, Tyreek Hill just hit the turf after catching it to stay in bounds to um, run out the clock. So let's move on to the next AFC championship, uh, the next AFC playoff game. And speaking of concussions, um, there was another hotshot young AFC quarterback that suffered the same fate in the Ravens' Lamar Jackson. Let's jump right into that game against the Bills. The Bills would pull it out 17-3. They did all they could to score 17 points on a very stout Ravens defense that featured the return of Calais Campbell, who would help the Ravens get past the Tennessee Titans. But today was the Bills' day. Uh, it was supposed to be a showdown between Buffalo's Josh Allen, who's had a fantastic season, is probably moving his way up the top quarterbacks list, and Baltimore's Lamar Jackson. Teron, or Taron Johnson literally stole the show, the defensive back for the Bills, with the big pick six that really turned the tide in Buffalo's favor and sealed it. If not for the wall separating the field from the stands in the back of the east end zone, the Bills cornerback might still be running after returning an interception 101 yards for a touchdown that propelled Buffalo to its first AFC Championship game appearance in 27 years. Johnson's pick six of Lamar Jackson's pass with 41 seconds remaining in the third helped secure the 17-3 win over the Ravens in a divisional round playoff. Johnson's Return matched the longest in NFL history and punctuated a stellar defensive outing in which Buffalo limited the NFL's top rushing offense 250 yards on 32 carries. Lamar Jackson, who was last season's NFL MVP, was sacked three times and did not return after sustaining a concussion following his final play of the third. And two plays after Johnson scored, he finished 14 of 24 for 162 yards passing while being limited to 42 yards rushing on nine carries. Josh Allen, an MVP candidate of his own this year, finished 23 of 37 for 206 yards and a touchdown in a season in which the Bills relied mostly on their dynamic Allen-led offense to outscore opponents. The third-year quarterback was gratified to see Buffalo's defense make a difference in a game. The pass-happy attack was kept mostly in check. The Bills advanced to the AFC Championship game for the first time since 1994 on their way to making and losing their four consecutive Super Bowl appearances. Buffalo also extended a season in which it has broken numerous droughts by claiming its first AFC East division title in 25 years and with last week's victory over Indianapolis, winning its first postseason game since the same year. The Bills have won eight straight to match their best streak since 1990 and will play the winner of the AFC's other divisional playoff between Cleveland and Kansas City. I'm all about this, guys. I'm all about seeing Josh Allen versus Pat Mahomes, and I do hope, sincerely hope, that Pat Mahomes improves and is all cleared from the concussion protocols because I want to see these two young guns in the AFC face off against each other. The Bills with their pass-happy attack and Kansas City with all the weapons they have. Uh, Kansas City's offensive line, not as good as it was in years past. Do have a couple of undrafted free agents and some cast-offs from other teams and some spots there. Good thing Mahomes can move around, but he needs to be protected a little bit. And he needs to learn how to slide, preferably not face forward. Slide, feet first, baseball style. For the Ravens, 
This is a team who ranks first in the NFL in rushing, but yet 32nd in passing, very last in passing. Now, if you're so good at running the ball, you should at least have a whip and play action game. There's no way you should be 32nd in pass offense. But this is where the Ravens are. And Lamar Jackson to throw that horrible pick in the end zone. I don't know what it was. Whether he just threw that ball into traffic and you can't do that so close to the end zone. He has trouble progressing in his reads beyond the first one or two progressions and then takes off running. Uh, Hollywood Brown, the wide receiver who is fast for the Ravens, has expressed some uh, displeasure earlier in the season without getting the ball. And I think they need another true number one wide receiver. Look at what the Bills did in trading for Stephon Diggs. I mean, if the Ravens could get a guy like that, it would help. Um, the tight end, Mark Andrews, they haven't been able to get the ball to him. There's been some plays where Hollywood Brown has been open, and there's some opportunity for some plays there, but they weren't made. Maybe it's due to Hollywood's size. It might be hard to see him beyond some other guys, beyond the defenders. But the Ravens need to take a hard look at their passing offense, and it needs to be revitalized because they will always go this far. They'll always kill it in the regular season and bog down whenever it comes, whenever the level of competition kicks up a notch. What the Ravens could also use is maybe a pass-catching back. J.K. Dobbins is not a great pass-catching back. Had some critical drops that would help the team. He's not that guy. So um, speaking of running backs, uh, Mark Ingram broke his own news, though it was expected. Mark Ingram, the former Saints running back and former Alabama Tide running back, tweeted a goodbye letter to Baltimore minutes before multiple reports broke that the Ravens have informed the running back they are releasing him on Tuesday. Ingram played his final game for the Ravens in Week 17. He was a healthy scratch in both playoff games. The Ravens saved $5 million in cap space by releasing him. In 2020, he had a career-low 72 carries for another career-low 299 rushing yards as Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins carried most of the load. Dobbins really emerging in the second half of the season. Ingram, at 31 years old, has 7,324 rushing yards in 10 NFL seasons, eight with the Saints. He has 9,219 yards from scrimmage in his career and 72 total touchdowns. Moving on to the NFC, it was Aaron Rodgers and his Packers, 38, excuse me, 32 to 18 over the Los Angeles Lambs. Don't tell Aaron Rodgers the lack of capacity crowds in a pandemic will limit the Green Bay Packers' home field advantage in the NFC Championship game. He's been waiting too long for this moment to have such thoughts. Rodgers throws for two touchdowns and also ran for another as the top seed in the NFC beat the Los Angeles Lambs 32-18 in the NFC Divisional Playoff game Saturday. He will play a conference championship game at home for the first time since taking over as Green Bay's starting quarterback in 2008, facing off against Mr. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So in the AFC, you got the young guns at quarterback. In the NFC, you have two old-timers with lots of heady experience. Aaron Rodgers versus Tampa Bay. What a treat. Rodgers went 23 of 36 for 296 yards in this one. Throws a one-yard touchdown pass to Devontae Adams, who was going in motion across the formation, and then Jalen Ramsey, who got burnt by that play, is turning around and looking at I don't know who and blaming somebody else for, you know, letting Devontae Adams get away with that touchdown. And then it was a game-clinching 58-yard pass to Alan Lazard with 6.52 left. Rodgers also had that one-yard touchdown run. The first by Packers quarterback in a playoff game at Lambeau since Bart Starr's winning sneak in the Ice Bowl against Dallas 
on December the 31st in 1967. What if the Packers face off against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? That would be like a, a redo of Super Bowl One. That's right. That was the very first Super Bowl matchup whenever the Super Bowl took on the name Super Bowl. It was the Green Bay Packers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. So how about that? A little bit of history there for you. The Packers reached the NFC Championship game for the fourth time in seven seasons as they chased their first Super Bowl berth in a decade. I'm all about seeing Aaron Rodgers get his second ring. For an outstanding quarterback like he is, it really is a shame that he only has one. Can you imagine how many uh, rings he might have if he played with those Patriots teams where Tom Brady was? That's definitely a conversation worth having. Rodgers helped Green Bay's potent offense overpower the Rams' vaunted defense for much of the day. The Packers didn't allow any sacks despite playing without injured all-pro left tackle David Bakhtiari. Green Bay sacked Jared Goff four times. Aaron Jones ran for 99 yards and a touchdown on just 14 carries. And this is so. This is what's so hard to defend about Green Bay is that they're so well-balanced on offense. Uh, Jones, that uh, rushing day, included a 60-yard burst to open the second half. Rodgers called the Packers offensive lineman the stars of the game tonight. Goff for the Rams was 21-27 for 174 and a touchdown less than three weeks after undergoing thumb surgery. He did not have Cooper Cup, whose knee is still bothering him. Cam Akers rushed for 90 yards and a touchdown, and the Packers scored on each of their first five uh, series and led 25-10 early in the third. After the Rams finally forced a punt midway through the third, they capitalized with Akers' seven-yard touchdown run on a direct snap. They cut it 25-18 with a nifty two-point conversion. Van Jefferson caught a pass from Goff and lateraled to Akers, who strolled into the left corner of the end zone. The Rams forced another punt and got the ball at their six, but Kenny Clark's sack stalled the drive. Big Kenny Clark for the Green Bay defense, stepping up in a big way. And also Aaron Rodgers was not finished. He'd make another game-saving play whenever running back A.J. Dillon fumbled on a series. But then, luckily... Rodgers was there to recover the backer, uh, recover the Packers fumble at the 31 and even advance the ball three yards. And then three plays later, he would hit Alan Lazard, who caught the ball around the Rams 25 and race into the end zone, to the chance of MVP coming from the crowd. Now for the Rams, Aaron Donald was limited, played one week after a rib injury knocked him out of a 30-20 to 20 playoff victory at Seattle. But the unanimous All-Pro clearly wasn't himself and had just one assist. Um, toughed it out and played, and cameras showed Donald in tears on the Rams' sideline after the Packers wrapped up the victory. Moving on to the Saints and Buccaneers, it is very hard to beat a team three times in a season. And it just so happened that the Saints, for the third year in a row, would have a go or the go completely stale. Their offense would go completely stale, and they would let the other team hang around for like, what, the third year in a row, and lose a home playoff game. Tom Brady's best game in three tries against the New Orleans kept the Buccaneers moving on the NFL's playoffs and has the Saints quarterback Drew Brees headed home, perhaps for good. Brady and the Bucks offense turned three of the Saints' four, Saints, turned three of the four Saints turnovers into touchdowns, and Tampa Bay beat New Orleans 30-20 to in a division round playoff Sunday night. Two of those touchdowns came on short passes to Mike Evans and Leonard Fournette. Devin White returned for the Buccaneers, and he was huge. In fact, uh, the former LSU middle linebacker was absolutely out of his mind, snagged the second of three interceptions by Drew Brees, who really had a bad game, and this has to be his last game, I'm thinking, as he, I believe, signed up for a broadcasting gig with NBC next year, perhaps for Notre Dame games. 
But Brady drove the Bucks to the one, and from there he scored himself with 4.57 left to virtually ensure his 14th trip to a conference championship game, his first in the NFC. 14th trip to a conference championship game. That is amazing. Tom Brady actually played much younger than his 43 years would suggest. He looked more like he was in his late 30s, and Drew Brees might have looked like he was 50. Um, the NFC Championship game will take place in Green Bay next week, where the 43-year-old Brady will try to advance to his 10th Super Bowl in a showdown with the Packers All-Pro Aaron Rodgers. Meanwhile, the Breeze era in New Orleans could be over after 15 seasons, while just 3,750 tickets were distributed in the 73,000-seat Superdome to comply with local COVID-19 restrictions. The fans made themselves heard with an eruption of cheers when the 42-year-old Breeze first took the field for New Orleans, seemingly sensing this could be their last chance to see him play at home. Breeze under contract for one more year, declined to say whether he's retiring. Um, I was ready to bench him. If I was a coach in this situation, and this is one game, i got to get past this game to have any chance to get to the Super Bowl. And as bad as Breeze was playing, and it might not have been popular in the long-term view of things, I would have completely benched his ass. He was playing that bad. It was that bad. And I think that Jameis Winston was probably the best quarterback on the roster who came in for a trick play and threw a touchdown to a wide-open Traquan Smith. At least with Jameis Winston, to go along with those three interceptions, you're probably going to have three touchdowns. And the Bucks, they sat on everything within like a 20-yard box from the line of scrimmage, not really afraid to be attacked deep. Um, the Saints really didn't attack deep. And whenever I saw that ball going deep for Traquan Smith, I was like thinking to myself, well, that's not Breeze that threw that ball. Brady would finish 18 of 33 for 199 yards and what often resembled more of a defensive struggle. Unlike his previous two meetings with the Saints, both losses, he was not intercepted and largely avoided pressure. The Saints really uh, failed to get pressure on Brady. And at this time of the season, he's more comfortable in the offense and is more comfortable with his surrounding weapons. And it was the Saints that turned the ball over and couldn't get, they couldn't get ahead of the, the downs. They were always behind in the downs. They were always in unmanageable situations. Tampa Bay did a good job of really keeping Alvin Kamara in check. Um, and in this one, the Buccaneers were some thieving Buccaneers with those turnovers and getting points off turnovers. The, um, the Breeze, while trying to flee pressure up the middle, Fading away, we've seen it time and time again, throws up a wiffle ball, um, and that was intercepted by Sean Murphy Bunting, who raced 36 yards along the sideline to the Saints three, and then Brady would hit Evans one play later to put the Saints, uh, to put the Buccaneers up 10 to six, and then we saw a miscommunication with Alvin Kamara. Uh, Breeze looked like he threw a little bit behind him. It looked like it should have went over the top, over his shoulder kind of thing, but that was the one that, uh, that Devin White intercepted. And then Carlton Davis, after the game, referred to Michael Thomas, who was held without a catch, referred to him as, quote-unquote, slant boy. Now, that's hilarious because Michael Thomas does get a lot of his yards running slants and crossing patterns. Um, Not really known for his deep speed, but I thought Carlton Davis calling him slant boy was quite hilarious. Um, Fournette, from the former LSU Tiger, showed some good hands on the touchdown catch. Um, In that moment, Winston's big moment. He was forced out of Tampa Bay, of course, when Brady became available. He would come in to throw that 56-yard touchdown pass to uh, against his old team on a trick play. 
On that play, Kamara took a direct snap and gave the ball to receiver Emmanuel Sanders on a reverse before Sanders lateraled back to Winston, and the reserve quarterback launched an accurate pass down the middle to an open Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith actually finished with two touchdown catches, so he had a solid game. Uh, Leonard Fournette finished with 107 yards from scrimmage, 63 on the ground. He had 40 yards in one drive that set up a field goal, and that tied it at 13 as time expired in the first half. Kamara had 105 yards from scrimmage with 85 on the ground, and of course Michael Thomas held without a catch in his final game of a really injury-plagued season for him. So very disappointing uh, ending to the season for the Saints. Drew Brees likely retired as his arm retired about two or three years ago. Um, all-time great. Um, it was nice to see him hang around after the game with his wife and his kids and Tom Brady, uh, although I have despised Tom Brady for a very long time and got sick of seeing him in the playoffs in the Super Bowl with New England. Um, I really can't help but like Tom Brady now. Um, stayed after the game, threw some passes to Breeze's kids. Um, nice moment. Stand-up guy, classy move. It was good. Nice, it was very nice to see that. Breeze and his wife have done remarkable things, have been very generous to the local area down there. In New Orleans, of course, the city completely ravaged after Hurricane Katrina. There was rumors that um, the owner at the time uh, would pick up the team and perhaps move to a city like San Antonio, where they spent a year playing while mm, the New Orleans was being cleaned up after Katrina. So Tom Benson, of course, would stay. Uh, me being a longtime Saints fan, remember whenever the Superdome finally reopened with the lights that were added to the outside of it. And Steve Gleason, who is now in a wheelchair suffering from a neuromuscular disorder, I believe it's uh, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Steve Gleason at the time had long hair sticking out the back of that helmet. And whenever the Superdome reopened, he keyed the victory over the Atlanta Falcons, then spearheaded by Michael Vick. He keyed the Falcons' victory by blocking a punt in that one. So I very vividly remember that Saints team and that time and how pivotal the Drew Brees was to being there along with Sean Payton and helping to keep the team there, revitalizing the city, and eventually bringing a Super Bowl to that area um, not long after that. So it was a great career. Drew Brees will be a Hall of Famer. Um, too bad that he couldn't get more than one Lombardi trophy, but um, – you know, one is good, and um, thank you, Drew Brees, for everything you've done for the Saints and the New Orleans area. Some coaching news. Urban Meyer has been locked up by the Jacksonville Jags. $12 million a year is reportedly what he will make, so I suppose that he can put up with whatever that cyst is in his head or those headaches or whatever the problem is whenever things aren't going so well or whatever program he's at, whenever he starts losing or getting frustrated says that he's not going to run around on the field and be too crazy. But you know what? Doctor says you really shouldn't coach anymore. Well, you know, here's $12 million. Hmm, how are you going to turn that down? He will have the first overall pick, likely to be Clemson's Trevor Lawrence. Jacksonville Jaguars have a ton of picks and a lot in the first couple rounds. They have a lot of cap room. Um, yes, uh, Urban Meyer has shown himself to be a program builder. But also after a couple of years, he's also shown that the wheels can come off um, with Florida. A lot of questionable characters there. A lot of thugs. Um, Aaron Hernandez being one of them. Committed murder um, in Ohio State. Things eventually went sideways. Um, went out of his way to protect a coach and delete his text messages. And this was a coach on Urban Meyer staff who at the time was um, beating his wife. So it's not all good. 
So while, yes, I've heard a lot of people talk about program builder and culture, you can't talk about culture without thinking also about the way those tenures ended at Florida and Ohio State. So good luck to Jacksonville. This is a bit of a risk, and you're paying him a lot of money. This is an area where he could succeed. Uh, This is an area where Nick Saban uh, either didn't succeed or wasn't patient enough to eventually succeed. But it will be interesting to see how this plays out in Jacksonville. Titans former offensive coordinator Arthur Smith is headed to Atlanta to be their head coach. Um, He was great in revitalizing Ryan Tannehill's career. So um, it's going to be interesting to see whether the Falcons stick with Matt Ryan or do they start a youth movement. The ground game, I believe, for the Falcons needs to be remade a little bit. Todd Gurley is about done. He's got bad knees. Um, Do the Falcons keep Julio Jones? Do they move on from him? And could Calvin Ridley in that offense um, sort of be the next A.J. Brown for Arthur Smith? But he, um, his dad, um, Arthur Smith's dad actually runs FedEx. So it's not known by a lot of people, but whenever your dad runs a global company like that, you've probably picked up some ideas and some organizational skills that he showed. And he had, um, Detroit appears to be locked in on the Saints assistant coach, tight ends coach, Dan Campbell, who has a little bit of experience in the league, been around for a while, was an interim head coach for the Dolphins after they fired um, Joe Philbin, and he went 5-7. and seven. Uh, Captured the attention of the NFL fans with his sideline stature. Of course, he's like a former tight end, so he's like 6'6 or something like that. And Miami's unexpected boost in performance under his leadership, especially after the Dolphins had flopped to a 1-4 start to the 2015 campaign under Joe Philbin. Man, coming out of Houston... Perhaps there's a chance that the Houston Texans can repair the relationship with Deshaun Watson. Houston is actually finally set to virtually interview Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy on Monday, according to NFL media's Ian Rappaport, because Kansas City is still in the postseason. The organization and NFL had to give permission so that the Texans didn't have to wait. Um, so now Watson recommended interviewing Bieniemy, and now the and the now Jets head coach Robert Sala the former 49ers defense coordinator, to club leadership. But Houston didn't request an interview with the Chiefs offensive coordinator until January the 12th. The Texans never interviewed Robert Sala. Of course, the Giants didn't want to, uh, the Jets, excuse me, didn't want to let him leave the building, and I can't really blame them. So uh, I really like the Jets hiring of Robert Sala. Really, really like it a lot. Um, with Salah being hired in New York, the San Francisco 49ers said goodbye to two of their top assistants last week, but are keeping two more with a couple of in-house promotions that have been in the works for a while with former defensive coordinator, Robert Salah and passing game coordinator, Michael LaFleur headed to New York. Of course, Salah, very familiar with that Shanahan coaching tree. Uh, LaFleur will be the offensive coordinator. The Niners elevated inside linebackers coach D'Amico Ryans, the former Texan, to replace Salah as defensive coordinator. That's a big promotion, let me tell you, for D'Amico Ryans. I hope he's up to the task. Run game coordinator Mike McDaniel is going to take over LaFleur's duties in, the cons- in, in a consolidated position as offensive coordinator. Both moves have been expected since Salah was announced as Jets head coach last week. 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan hinted strongly that Ryan's was his choice for the job at his season wrap-up news conference on January the 4th. The Chargers have hired Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley as their head coach. Uh, I like this uh, hire. He's been very impressive as the Rams defensive coordinator. And the Rams' defense defense has actually become the strength of that team and has done a great job at slowing down 
Sean McVay's offense. That's how he caught Sean McVay's eye. Brandon Staley is considered to be a young, bright mind, a Sean McVay of defense, if you will. So, uh, moving on to some college football notes. Um, Kevin Steele, the former defensive coordinator of Auburn for Gus Malzahn, was hired by the Tennessee Volunteers, has some history there. And I was thinking, hmm, Kevin Steele to the Vols. He's still getting paid, you know, $5 million in his contract buyout from Auburn. He's making 450000 with the Vols. Um, Pruitt could be, you know, on thin ice. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, could Kevin Steele become, eventually become the head coach? Lo and behold, not long after I said that, Monday got the news that Jeremy Pruitt is being fired with cause. And the best thing about that is they do not have to pay him uh, the buyout. And... Athletic director Philip Fulmer is set to be, quote-unquote, retiring, hmm, or ushered out. Does Kevin Steele take over at head coach? Looks like he's going to be at least the interim in the short run, and the Vols aren't paying him a lot. The University of Tennessee announced recently hired defensive coach Kevin Steele will lead the Vols as interim coach in the wake of Jeremy Pruitt's firing. Steele, who returned to Rocky Top as a defensive assistant coach on January the 12th, will inherit a program left sort of like in question as it deals with an investigation into serious NCAA violations that prompted the firing of Pruitt and nine other football staff, including two assistant coaches, four on-campus recruiting staff, a football quality control analyst coach, and the director and assistant director of football player personnel. Ouch. Tennessee is also missing two assistant coaching positions on the defensive and offensive line coach after coach Jimmy Broomball was let go and Will Friend left for a job at Auburn following a disappointing 2020 regular season. If you're going to do something wrong, shouldn't you have something to show for it? Like a good record? Oh my gosh, they did something wrong and they sucked on the field? Kevin Steele played at the University of Tennessee under head coach Johnny Majors in the 70s. He also began his coaching career at UT under Majors in the early 80s. And Steele Steele briefly had a stint as the head coach at Baylor from 99 to 2002. Of course, most recently worked as the defensive coordinator for Auburn under Gus Malzahn. The Tigers finished with a top 20 scoring defense in four of Steele's five seasons. So, Tennessee will be able to keep a head coach for longer than, I don't know, two or three seasons now. In other news, wide receiver receiver Chris Olave is staying at Ohio State while Justin Fields and Trey Sermon are entering the draft. So uh, Ohio State kind of offsets their losses with Chris Olave staying. So maybe somebody um, pulled off a good Nick Saban-like conversation, convincing a case for him to stay and continue to hone his game while Justin Fields and running back Trey Sermon enters the draft. In uh, as far as Sermon goes, getting... Disappoint, getting disappointingly getting injured so early in the national championship game was certainly disappointing. But his calling card would kind of be um, talented, but also known for some injuries throughout his career. In eight games this season, he ran for 870 yards and four TDs, average, averaging 7.5 yards per carry. He ripped off 29 carries for 331 yards and two touchdown versus Northwestern in the Big Ten title before crushing Clemson in the playoff semifinal with 31 carries for 193 and a score. What Sermon lacks in high-end speed, he makes up for with impressive vision and a mean rushing style that lends to squeezing the most out of even the most mundane rushes. Sermon's real concern is, of course, those injuries, notably the knee injury he suffered at Oklahoma in 2019 and the injury, of course, in the Natty Championship game. Look for Sermon's name to be called sometime early-ish on day three of the NFL draft. And finally, LSU is working on finalizing a deal with... um, 
a former Saints coach or Saints assistant Ryan Nielsen to be their new defensive coordinator after missing out on Cincinnati's uh, Marcus Freeman, I believe it was, who went on to coach Notre Dame. Nielsen met with Sean Payton and told him of his intention to take the job earlier today. Nielsen has been the Saints defensive line coach under defensive coordinator Dennis Allen. During his time in New Orleans, Nielsen helped build one of the top defensive line units in the NFL, including the development of David Omayada, Trey Hendrickson, Shai Tuttle, Malcolm Roach, and Marcus Davenport, who all contributed to the Saints' success up front this past season. Before his time with the Saints, Nielsen spent time with NC State, where he coached future NFL first-round pick Bradley Chubb, and even played for coach Ed Orgeron at USC in the late 1990s during Orgeron's first stint with the program. He later became Orgeron's defensive line coach at Ole Miss in 2002. Now, there are some con contract language that supposedly is up in the air right now. LSU may have to buy out the rest of his contract with the Saints, but um, that is the only thing that stands in the way right now from LSU finalizing that deal for their next defensive coordinator. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Football Gumbo Show podcast. I would like to thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the football this past weekend. I can't wait for these championship games. And really hope Pat Mahomes is going to be able to play because um, it really would be a shame if you didn't get to see Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen against each other. And also, it should be a treat to see Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, one of the two all-time greats to, that ever did it, match off in the NFC. So join us next time, and we're going to recap what happened in these games. And uh, appreciate you stopping by. We'll see you next time. <laughs>